Welcome to Trail Manners, the podcast so dedicated to mountain trails and running that they broadcast out of a 78 Volkswagen bus in the mountains. Who does that? Eric and Joel are your hosts and will bring you the trail life as you may have not heard it before. You hear about everything from gear reviews, nutrition to keep you upright and moving forward, and they'll even bring guests into the bus for conversations that you won't hear anywhere else. It's time for some running adventures on a higher elevation. The old 78 Volkswagen bus is fired up and headed to the mountains. Here are your hosts for Trail Manners, proudly representing the 801 with their passion and love for the trails, Eric Manning and Joel Hatch. Welcome to the Trail Manners Podcast, episode number 39. Today, we're going to be talking with Dominic Layfield here at our home away from home at Park City Run Company. So if this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The Trail Manners Podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at trailmanners.com. Come back often, and please feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Trail Manners. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get after it. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Trail Manners Podcast. So what edition are we on now? What's what Let's show thirty nine? Yeah, this will be uh this will be show thirty nine. All right, so again we 39. are at Park City Run Co. Um we're doing a nice little series where we're trying to highlight all the fast dudes in the Wasatch front. And today we have Dominic Layfield with us. Dom, thank you for coming in and, and, and talking with us. So the the previous show we had Brian on, and uh, he is a fast dude. That was fun talking to him. Yeah. Right. And we're we're at Park City Run Company, and one of the things I like about Park City Run Company is all the little like medals and buckles all over the place. Yeah. And you gotta spend some time in the shop, exploring all the little nooks and crannies. Right? You find stuff everywhere. You do. You go into the bathroom and you're like, Metals. Metals everywhere. <laughs> right? And you're like, This is so cool. And then right next to the cash register, there's a wall full of belt buckles from 100 mile distances. And there's some really sweet buckles up there. Um, and, and, and we've only been open for like a year. So I, I'm imagining, you know, 10 years from now, this this place looks like a zoo of right? buckles and metals. And, and you are one of the, the co owners, right, of the shop? I'm an investor. An investor. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. An investor. So, how'd that come about? Um, well, Kenneth, uh, was a friend. I, I, I ran with him from time to time and, um, he discussed, uh, opening a running store and, you know, I think everybody in the community knew we really needed a running store in Park City. Right. And, um, you know, I wanted to be part of it. Right. I wanted to help out, see what I could do. So, uh, as well as being an investor when, you know, when we got this space, uh, Canis was asking for assistance with the construction and the demo. Right. So, you know, I turned up and spent uh, a bunch of days here sort of banging away with Canis. So, right. I mean, you know. we interviewed Canis back in uh, spring. Yeah, something like that. And he, he told us the story about that, how you just were kind of showing up <laughs> just to help. And then next thing you know, you're an investor. Well, yeah, then, right? then you're committed, right? Yeah, you <laughs> are. in the game. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. No, you guys are doing a great job up here. Yeah, we love awesome. coming up here. It's it's such a friendly, comfortable store. It's definitely a runner store. Yeah, right. Super inviting. Yeah, it is. I mean, you got the coffee shop. You got the the wine going on Thursday nights, I believe. <laughs> which is, you know, I'm going to talk about that to the end of the time because yeah. I love wine. Uh, if you guys did beer night, we would be up here for that too. Um, 
we can't thank you guys enough for letting us come up here and, and do shows. It's fun. We, we love it. Uh, we wish we lived up here because we'd be here all the time. Yeah. It, it would be awesome. So we want to talk to you a little bit about running because you're kind of a fast guy. Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. I, I would characterize myself as a more of a plotter, but no. Uh, according yeah. to your results, <laughs> yeah. you're pretty fast. Yeah. And, I mean, you're you're our age, which we don't consider that terribly old just yet. But you're mid forty runner, and you're placing really good in these races. And right? you're, and you're racing quite a bit too. You are really. racing. You've got you've, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think part of that is my running philosophy. You know, a lot of ultra runners go out for long runs. And I just can't motivate just to, you know, uh, roll out of the house and go for a four-hour run. Um, you know, particularly I, I like to run with my dogs too, and they, they can't go that long or they overheat or I can't right. carry enough fuel for them. And so, you know, I just like to do my long runs in races. Right. Um, and I think that's a big reason why I race so often. Um, I mean, you t- I have had to print out four pages on ultra sign-up of all your results. And they're all like top 10, top 20 against stacked fields. And they're scattered. I mean, you got some shorter, like yeah. a 33K, 100-mile. Uh, you know, and the, the one that stands out to me is one of my favorites is the Wasatch Bear back-to-back last year. Yeah. <laughs> two, two weeks apart. You did the Wasatch 100. Yeah, um, came in fifth. Fifth in 22 hours, 30 minutes. And then two weeks later, second at the Bear 100 in 20 hours, 35 minutes. So and that the was Wasatch a was, bear. Yeah, Wasatch was like the gear up for two weeks yeah, later. right. So that's, that's to me, that's just oh, super and, impressive. Oh, well, that, that, that's a kind of an interesting story. It wasn't something I was planning at all. Um, uh, you know, I, uh, I tell people not to focus on one race. Um, I feel like... Then, you know, if you overtrain going into that race and you have a bad race, you feel just emotionally destroyed afterwards. Right. Or if you injure yourself going into that race, then all of your plans just evaporate. And so last year I did exactly what I tell people not to do. <laughs> you know, I focused on Wasatch. Right. I said to myself, I'm going to win Wasatch. Right. You know, I looked at the entrance and I thought, I don't see anyone particularly fast, you know, and I've got, uh, you know, Time to train now. I'm feeling strong. I'm going to focus on washouts, washouts, wasatch. Right. And um, and I was in really good shape going into wasatch. And then um, and actually coming out of uh, lambs, I was in first place. Right. Uh, largely because the people who were ahead of me had got off course. But oh, uh, you know. Uh, it was kind of a surprise as I came out of the aid station. They said you're number one, and I, right. I almost doubled back and said, "Wait, what did you say?" <laughs> um, but. Uh, but then things kind of just really went south for me. Um, I started feeling lightheaded and dizzy, and um, I started to feel nauseous and started throwing up. Uh-oh. And in a lot of races, a lot of ultras, everybody has a battle with their stomach. Right. You know, yeah. A lot of people have experienced throwing up in races before, um, but I'd never experienced anything like this. I was throwing up, you know, like once a minute right. for the next ten hours. Um, it was just nonstop. And so, what do you um, attribute that to? Was that just the heat? Was it exertion? Just I, I a think bad it, spot? a number of things. You know, I think maybe I was slightly uh, hyponatremic. I think okay. maybe I'd had too much water. Right. Um, one day in training, I had run the stretch from Big Mountain to Lambs, and it had been a brutally hot day. And I, I just remember feeling in a daze right. after that run. 
and then being kind of intimidated in the race. Right. And um, I just drank a lot of water in that oh. section. I don't normally drink any water. I normally fill my bladder up with... Uh, you know, some sort of carbohydrate drink. Right. Uh, I kind of had an accident coming out of Big Mountain where my hose was clogged and I kind of yanked on it and yanked the hose out of the oh, out no. of the bladder. So then it just emptied down my back. <laughs> right. Um, so then I was, I didn't get any liquid till the next aid station. And then I got picked up tons of water and I was just chugging a lot um, of water. Right. Uh, another thing I did differently that I never do is I took some salt tablets Oh and yeah, I, I never, oh, I never yeah. touched them. Now, see, Candace told me that we needed to talk about that. Yeah, well, let's go to that in a moment. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, uh, you know, so that's maybe what was going on when I, I got to Lambs. I don't right. know. Maybe I'd had a bit, got a little overheated in the sun. Right. I don't know what was going on, but uh, but then my race just, you know, unraveled uh, very rapidly. Right. You know, I was just hiking. And you're all just the way trying to hold on to Brighton. Right. And uh, people were flying by me. Right. And I knew. When you say people, just just a couple, <laughs> right? Because or, you, or you reeled a minute. You're end. only. You came in fifth. Yeah. Um, well. I guess it wasn't that many people, right. but, but my goal was to win, right. right? So, you know, any person coming past you and, and knowing you're not going to catch them is disheartening. Right. Um, and uh, I also thought, well, if I'm not going to win, I want to set a time I'm proud of. Right. And I knew that wasn't going to happen either. Um, yeah, I knew I was still going to finish in 24 hours. Right. So did you pass anybody back at that point? No, no. No? Um, not that I recall. Um, but already, by, by the time I got to Brighton, I'd said to my pacer, you know, do you have your cell phone with you? Can you call up somebody involved with the bear? And maybe I'll enter the bear and, and I'll <laughs> DNF on Wasai. <laughs> uh, and he was like, no, man, no, come on, you've got to keep going. You've got to finish this thing. And um, so I did, and it was pretty horrible. Um, but then afterwards, I, I, I was, you know, very... Uh, depressed uh, emotionally in the dumps right you know, i think a lot you get a lot of post-race blues anyway but well because yeah. you, you put everything crushing. into it right right that was your key race for the um, year so then i thought you know well maybe i can still enter the bear right and um so you know i did a few gentle runs after wasatch and i thought well my body feels okay so right maybe i'll uh, and i emailed um the race director of the bear right and and he let me in right uh like five days before the race uh and I wasn't expecting much, you know, I just wanted to run 100 miles without vomiting, without you right. know, things completely falling apart. And um, it went unexpectedly well. Uh, and that was a hot race. It was, was another hot yeah, day. That yeah, was, was the hottest bear that we've yeah. had, right? It was yeah, now around about mile 40, you kind of come over a hot oh, crest. Yeah. And, yeah. Then there's, and then you follow a stream, and there's a kind of a marshy section. Right. And everybody was just kind of running off the course and just, dousing themselves in yep. the water Jumping and just the sitting there. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and I thought, oh, I'll save some time by not doing that. And right. I went about another couple of minutes and thought, no, I'm definitely going <laughs> yeah. in the water. <laughs> Getting in the water Went in the point. water, got off the water, ran, yep. ran back down the trail, and then decided to go back in the water. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. one of the that's one of the few times I've heard someone in a hundred mile race want to sign up for another hundred mile race like two weeks, two weeks after. Yeah, usually, <laughs> usually people are like, like, I will done. never run one of these. Yeah, again. exactly. Yeah, because you did uh, great at the Bear. I mean, twenty thirty five, and then as we didn't mention before, so you did Wasatch. Two weeks later, you do the Bear, yep. and then two weeks later, you did Real de Lago. Or like a month no, later. It was, it was, it was like a month. month. It was, was about a month. Yeah, yeah. that was a month. That's right. That's and a you, month. You came later. in first at, at Rio that hundred mile. Yeah, and yeah. seventeen hours. That's fast. Yeah, but that's a much easier course. Right. Much it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. you've done three, 300s, three in hundreds in the course of two months. Yeah. yeah. 
That's a lot. That is. So what is your? So you talk about your your races being your long runs. Yeah. Right? What's kind of your your like? What do you, how do you train? I mean, do you kind of so just go? So my philosophy about uh, ultras, um, you know, particularly hundred k's, hundred milers, is that um, you've just got to get your body as close to how it's going to feel in a race as possible. So there's no point in doing you know high intensity training. Um, you've just got to get your heart to roughly heart rate to roughly where it, it is in a hundred miler and and go um, and do as many hours a week as you really can. So you know I try and ramp up to sort of two to two and a half hours a day running. Um, I believe in trying to do back to back to back longish runs, uh, and I try to get as close to how I'm going to feel in a race as I can. So another thing I really believe in is depleted running. You okay. Know, you, you get up, you don't eat breakfast, you right. wait until you're really hungry, which mm-hmm. is usually about lunchtime for me, and then you go for a run. So you start the run kind of tired from the day before and hungry from ha- you know not having fueled right so and that then i think you, you know you feel you start to feel crappy within half an hour rather than <laughs> you know two hours you know. so then you're trying to rely on your fat stores for absolutely right yes. for, for you're focusing on on fat metabolism so what so then let's kind of talk a little bit about that so what do you use then for your nutrition during your runs how you how are you fueling these long runs like i, I don't you don't no are you, so you're going out for two three hour runs and you don't have any like you're not taking any gels or anything like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. If it's a hot day, I'll take some water in the uh, hydration pack. I don't. Th- I think you can train your body for running on en- on empty and fuel wise. Right. But I don't think you can get accustomed to running dehydrated. You no, know, I think, that, uh, that's just not possible. It's, it's physiologically exactly. exactly. So how long did it take you to get to the point where you could do that? Where you could do these longer runs? You're doing them, you know, kind of like at pace. Like yeah. At race pace. So, how long did it get to that point where you could do that efficiently? Where you're not feeling just <coughs> awful? Um, several years. Uh, it's interesting. I haven't really kept track, but I do recall years ago uh, reading Matt Carpenter's uh, oh, guide yeah. to, you know, um, how he set the Leadville right. uh, record. And he had a kind of a rocky road there. He, he did. He, he tried one year and kind of blew up. Blew up, yeah. Like, literally, he was running really fast. Yeah. Crazy fast, and then and, just blew um, up. But then he described how he was running two hours a day, right, every day. And at the time when I read that, I thought, "Whoa, that's a lot." You know, I right. was doing maybe nearly an hour a day right. at that stage. And I found that once I went significantly over an hour, you know, things would would feel pretty tired very quickly. Right. Um, but now, you know, maybe I'm just running slower. Maybe my body's got better at dealing with it but I now two hours really is not a problem at all and, um, but o- always with ultra running I think everybody's you know dancing that tightrope between uh, what they can squeeze into their schedule right. and w- you know what they can tolerate before their body starts to fall apart and, and, and they have you know chronic injuries right well we talked to so many different people and it's interesting because you're your method of training, the way you do things, is significantly different than I would say most or the percentages. I think so. You know, I mean, it really is. But then you look at your results and the success you've had, and yeah. they're really unquestionable, really. Well, I mean, that's kind. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good runner but not a great runner. And if I do well, it's mostly because I train harder or smarter than 
you know, most of the competition. Well, and that's what we, we talk about all the time is you training the way you want to race, whether it's the right. conditions, you know, yep. whether it's vertical, whether it's distance, whether it's flat, whether it's hot, whether it's cold, whatever. Um, but again, I mean, your results, I mean, you can go years back and they're just astounding. And they the are. way you train is again it's different from the norm so people listening might be going oh, you can't do that or how but you can't obviously. it works for, yeah. it works for you yeah. I, I think you know uh if you were going to follow that strategy you would just sort of ramp up uh, and try and uh you know see what your body will tolerate uh in terms of daily you know uh hours on your feet and again you know people will ask me how many miles a week i run and i i don't really have a clue because I deliberately don't keep track of it. And right. I come home from a run and people's like, how far did you go? I'm like, right. oh, I went about two hours. Right. <laughs> I went from the trailhead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ran and I an came hour. back. <laughs> and I ran back an hour. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's just a question of exploring what your body can, can uh, is capable of and, and just gradually ramping up. And I love that part because we talk about it all the time, me and Joel and everybody have on. It's, it is ultra running in an essence is seeing what you're capable of, right? right? And it's just about how you go about it. Yeah. But another thing you mentioned is that everybody has the, you know, different philosophy. Yeah. And, and I love that about ultra running. You know, it, to me, I, I always say it's, it's still the wild west of, of training. It is. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to run a 10K fast or be, you know, collegiate cross country, we know pretty pretty damn well exactly what kind of training you need to do yep. to maximize your athletic potential. And pretty much everybody at the top is doing exactly that. Uh, whereas in the ultra running world, um, you know, it's all over the shop and nobody yep. has a clue what they're doing. And everybody has different philosophies and uh, will tell you, no, 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 that's completely the wrong thing to do. You need to do this. Right. Um, so, you know, I like the fact that y you kind of get to explore it for yourself. You well, do. You, you kind of do rogue, do your own thing. And what if it works, that works for you, which yep. may not work for me or work right. for Joel. Sure. But again, I think you make an interesting point. It's all how you train. Because the is. way you do things could work for people if that's kind of what they, their, their body became used to it. Right. And it's not an overnight you know, no, I mean, process. You said a couple of years. Your worth. volume of work, I mean, if we look back all the way to 2003... I mean, you have a really healthy body of work across all distances, and you, you've kind of figured out what works for you. But I think you touched on a really good point is that, you know, ultra running still is in its infancy. But if we, if we look at our sport compared to um, triathlon, and especially the, the, the long-distance triathlon, there's more research with triathlons data. Right, than there is ultra running. And both of them really kind of took off at the same time. And, you know, if I listened to a podcast on Endurance Plant with Jason Coop, and he was talking about this. And he goes, the, the triathlon world, they've got it down, right? Scientifically, they got it down. More studies have been done with those guys compared to ultra running. Just because, I, I don't know why, just because the, you know, maybe there was more money into it. Uh, maybe the researchers were more into it at that time. Um, they they know it works for them. Yeah. As far as like ultra running goes, it's still kind of like that. The end of one. It, it, it out, is an interesting right? comparison, isn't it? You think like, why is there so much focus on um, triathlon? Right. You know, compared to because if you look at the long running. distance, that that if that effort at fifty miles for ultra running is kind of like the same effort for that long distance triathlon. They're both finishing about that same time period, right? The, the it's the, but they know. 
what works as far as fueling goes, as far as what training goes for for ultra running though. It's it, 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 but but there's a lot of there are you know very specific differences um, apart from the money. I mean, if yeah. a pair of running shoes cost uh, three thousand dollars, then there'd be a lot <laughs> yeah, more yeah, money right? in ultra running. <laughs> I think I think a, a bike, a three thousand yeah. dollar bike, would be on the low end. Those okay, guys well, are I like know, there's so ten much, grand yeah. on their oh, bikes. Crazy. Yeah. Um, but you know, when you're in the water, uh, you know you can't fuel. Yeah. And when you're on the bike, it's a lot easier to fuel. It is. You don't have the jostling. Bouncing right. up and down, so you know the bike for for most uh, triathletes is is the point where they get most of their fuel on board, and right. then they, you know they do fuel in the run, but mostly they're they're you know trying to get ahead of the game right. with the nutrition, um, which I, in a way I guess you can do that in ultra running. You can say, well, if I'm going to run Western states, right. it's going to be filthy hot in the middle of the day. Uh, it's going to be really hard to keep my nutrition up, you know, when it's 100 degrees in the canyons. Right. And so maybe I'm going to, you know, fuel early, push early, and then relax in the heat. You right. Know, work around it a little bit. But but mostly you've got to just keep it continuous, you know, for 20 hours or however long it's going to take you to do the race. Right. Well, have I you, think... Have you, have you come across others that you have talked to or run with that kind of take your approach as well? Or are you kind of the, the outlier around here and people you know with your training? No, I, I evangelize. I talk to anyone who will listen to me. But, you know, uh, I haven't run across anyone who, who, who's been like, oh, yeah, that's exactly, I think that's, that's what I do. You know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, some of it, I, I guess, was inspired by reading Matt Carpenter's, uh, his little book, uh, or his account, I, I'm trying to remember where I read it. Um, he had a sky running booklet he was distributing for a while. When he had this um, blog, this really he had a really good blog, and yeah. he was you know really consistent with putting information out on it. Yeah, I mean one of, one of the things I think was fantastic about Matt is is he had a really focused, rational approach right. to uh, to running and training, and and I really enjoyed that. You know, that's kind of the same sort of geeky way that I like to think. Um, but apart from that, you know, some of it's just exploring what works for, for me. Right. Uh, others, other things is reading scientific papers. Like a lot of the stuff I've um, got into with depleted runs was inspired by reading a couple of uh, papers um, showing how, you know, athletes who were training in a depleted state upregulated their um, metabolic pathways that, that metabolize fat right. know, uh, for fat burning. And... Um, so, you know, I guess if you look at, if I, I, I would just sort of rewrite Matt's philosophy slightly with a couple of, you know, modern uh, developments like that. But, you know, I think he pretty much nailed it. Right. And you gravitate towards more of that scientific base just because of your background. Is right. that just yeah. your nature? So let's touch a little bit that. So you went to MIT. That's right. <laughs> they don't just let anybody in there. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so you have a PhD in? Uh, in biomedical engineering. All right, and so that's so. Is that what you do now, currently for work? Uh, yeah, yeah. And what is that? Uh, I build physiological models uh, for a pharmaceutical company. Um, so I do computer modeling of what happens to drugs when they get into your body. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so that, that's that. why I'm, I'm very, you know. You're interested in, in physiology in the science in stuff. The science. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking about some stuff that, and I'm I'm not I'm not saying this because I know me. Is some of the stuff would be shump. I mean, I would have to read one of these papers and then I'd have to research 
some of the stuff in the paper. So it would take me a long time really to figure some of this out. Really, right. I mean, I definitely rely on help for so, that. So how do you think that then our so let's talk about the U.S. and how our view is with that. So you, do you think we're ahead of the curve, behind the curve, is the way that's thinking? Because if you look at Tim Noakes, right? So you know who Tim Noakes is, course. right? So he, he was on that old philosophy of high carbohydrate. Yes. And recently he switched. Yeah. And they really put him through the ringer. Like they are trying to kick him out of the country, basically. <laughs> they really yeah. are. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Tim Noakes is a controversial figure. Yeah. I mean, he is a sort of godfather of exercise physiology. He is. He's published the of running. more papers than anyone else. And he's done some really amazing work. Um, but also, whenever I read his books, like The Law of Running or right. Waterlogged, I get frustrated as a scientist about how um, imprecise and sloppy he is oh. and how, um, you know, he will talk about a, a theory being right or wrong right. rather oh. than having different degrees of validity. Right, like that you know. gray area. Yeah, or, or saying, well, it works, you know, for over these ranges of distances or right. this, this level of exercise intensity. Right. And just because it doesn't work for when you're redlining it doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means it's sort of incomplete or it doesn't describe that area well. Right. Um, and... Um, I mean, I could spend a long time on Tim Noakes. He's, but he's such a uh, an important figure, and he's so charismatic and likable. Right. You know, I, uh, that you know, I, I just wish there were more Tim Noakes out there. Right. Um, but I haven't followed the details of what's happening to him. Um, but he certainly has found himself in deep water. Right. By because he's just really, I, I think, overstated the case. Uh, in terms of of how bad a high carb diet is, right? Um, and I think it's one of these areas where he has genuinely misjudged um, the scientific evidence. Uh, there's a there's a really good website called the the Science of Sport. Yep. Uh, and they had a commentary on Tim Noakes where they were trying to be as diplomatic as possible right. because I think they're based in South Africa as they, well. They so are. Yep. They're all caught up in the same sort of political turmoil. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but they sort of said something along the lines of, you know, he ought to recognize that it's unlikely to be so clear cut. Right. He should know from experience with science yeah. that it's a it's woolly and the answer is usually complicated, not right. simple. No, it's you never know, the answer to, to every question is, well, it's not that simple. Yeah. And it is not that simple in terms of, you know, getting carbohydrate out of your diet. Right. Um, so. You know, I'm just surprised that Noakes seems to think it is so so clear cut. Right. I, that the evidence is so overwhelming. You know, he really did stir up a horn's nest over there. And if I know that this might be kind of just mundane and boring, but you know, being with the science background that I have, it's just fascinating to see it happen. And they're just they basically called a tribunal for this guy, and they're trying to run him out of the country. It, which is too bad, but I mean, he well, he's brought up some really good uh, points. He's in I a think. difficult situation, you know. If he was some no-name, uh, you know, uh, low-level academic, yeah, exactly. Then Just he could some expound students. these theories right. and stand up at conferences and argue with people, yep. and it wouldn't be a big deal, right? But because he is such an important figure that yep. so many people listen to, that you know that. You know, you have to be careful what you say because yeah. you, you change the lives of, of, you know, thousands and thousands of people whenever you right. open your mouth. Yeah. So 
you know, you've based your training kind of off of, well, two things, what works for you, and you're also really data-driven. So who else in the U.S. is really putting out some good information right now that you think that is kind of backing up what you see works for you? You know, I don't know. One of my heroes is, is David Roach. Okay, so um, but he's a very much a short distance kind of guy, right? Uh, you know, I read what he he had a an article recently in um, Trail Runner about uh, Chris Marco, yeah. who he kind of started coaching, I guess, just before Western States. And he did he's top ten Western States this yeah, year. Yeah, but but you know, and I, I thought that's fascinating what he had Chris do. Right. But I'm not convinced that that was actually the best strategy. So I think Chris did that. really well. So what do you do? So well, what, what know, do you have I, Chris do? I, I'm trying to remember the details. Okay. I wish I I wish I'd done my homework before this. Um, but uh, was it a nutritional thing that you? No, that you it was, liked, it was like, like a strategy. High, I, I recall there was a lot of high intensity work. Okay. Um, and you know, I just, I think even if you're going to be a fast guy at Western States, that it doesn't make much sense to do that. Right. It would be much more sensible just to do um, slow runs where you are focusing on. Um, on fat metabolism, right? Um, I think you know it. It seems sort of intuitive that if you have a, uh, if you train at high intensity to increase your VO2 max, that that should allow you to run faster at all distances. But I just don't believe the scientific evidence is there to justify that. Right. Uh, as Tim Noakes has pointed out, if you're running an ultra, none of your um, uh, none of your body is maxed out, right? right? Your heart's not pumping as fast as it can. Nope. Your lungs aren't, br aren't breathing as fast as they can. Your legs aren't working as fast as they can. So what's the limiting factor? It's not getting oxygen to your muscles. Right. Um, I think it is getting fuel to your muscles. And being efficient with that. Yes. I mean, clearly there's all sorts of other, way, other gains you can have in terms of efficient, mechanical efficiency. Right. But uh, physiologically... You know, for an ultra, if you're going to be out there for more than 10 hours, then I think, uh, and I could be dead wrong. I'm not, you know, it's just an opinion. I, right. I, I don't see that, that uh, you know, interval training or high intensity work is, is really relevant. You know, I think Chris Mocko did uh, astonishingly well at Western States because he's an amazing athlete and right. he trained very hard in a whole variety of different ways. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not quite sure whether, you know, the advice that David Roach gave him helped very much. So it may have been something, you know, I think David also believes on your on your gentle days in training, you know, really gently. And right. he thinks most people don't train hard enough on their hard days right. and train too hard on their easy days. Mm -hmm. You know, so maybe by saying to Chris, okay, you need to taper more than you, you're actually tapering. Right. You need to take it easy on your easier runs. You know, maybe... Uh, you know, that helped, and that's not something that Chris would have done on his own. Right. But David Roach reminds me um, of, um, sorry, I'm blanking. Who were we talking about before? Uh, Tim Noakes. No, uh, um, Leadville. Uh, oh, Matt Carpenter. Matt Carpenter, Carpenter sorry. Yeah. Sorry, had a brain fart there. Um, he reminds me of Matt Carpenter, and then right. Matt Carpenter was very focused on on getting his training absolutely optimal and very analytical yeah very analytical. i mean he was like he his and watch uh, would beep and he right. would he would drink he out would of his straw right, right? every and, 15 uh, minutes and roach has that same combination of enormous um 
you know, athletic ability, right. of being prepared to push himself really hard in races, mm -hmm. in thinking an awful lot uh, about the training he right. does. And yeah, so. So that's interesting because, I mean, you think that that interval based approach doesn't help as much. But when we talk about, the, like, say, top 10 Western states, I think it does, to be honest, for those top 10 guys. Yeah. Maybe for the general population, it would help their overall fitness, right? Sure. Um, so that way they're not breaking down as quickly. So maybe they're actually moving through the course a little bit faster. But what, like, I think a good point that you came up with or that you brought up is once you go over that 10-hour mark, it's about fueling. It's about being efficient mechanically. And that brings up a different point, you know, is at what point does cross-training help, which Jason Coop thinks it doesn't help at all. Yeah. Um, he, he's, he's really anti that right now. Um, uh, so I think it's that you bring you up know, a really good you know, point. I, I, it's true. And I, I can't say that, that, you know, that this is the gospel, that I believe no, this. No, I'm, not, know, I'm this, not saying that. in my mind, too. Um, and, and certainly, I, I think, as you say, top 10 at Western States are definitely doing a lot of that training. Yeah, that's a different but breed. But maybe they're winning Western States despite the fact they're doing that kind of training. True. Not they're just genetically, you know, they're you, predisposed to being really good at that. Right. Well, I, I just feel like they're all, you know, they probably all have coaches. They and do. And coaches are all probably, you know, reading the same publications and going yep. to the same conferences mm -hmm. and agreeing with each other when they get to these conferences. Um, I, 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 I don't know. Um, and certainly, you know, if I ever come top 10 at Western States, you know, I'll be, be a happy man. Well, we'll uh, have to have you on and talk to you and see, like, <laughs> okay, so what worked for you, yeah. right? <laughs> I think that would be, you know, but your volume of work speaks a lot. I mean, you're placing well. At big well, races. Yeah, no, big no, races. only at, only at kind of little no-name races. No, come on uh, now. Speed, I mean, you got speed, speed goats and... You top know, top twenty at speed goat age forty four. That's impressive. Squaw Peak. I mean, these are good. The races. Georgia Death Race, yeah. <laughs> number three. Bighorn, American yeah, River. Yeah, that, that was a, an, actually an attempt to get into Western States. Right. I um, I you know I had an entry to uh, Sean O'Brien in the spring. Right. Uh, which was a golden ticket golden race ticket where race. there was remarkably few fast people entered. And I was a little psyched about that, and then I got flu that week. Oh. Um, but I had the race entry, I had the hotel, I had right. the car, I had the plane ticket booked, and thought, ah, you know, I'm, I'm still going to turn up and race. And, and, right. and I felt horrible in the race and then DNF'd. Uh, but then I thought, you know, I still, the only chance of getting into Western is to enter another golden ticket race. So right. uh, I entered the Georgia Death Race specifically, you know. And and just missed, you know. You just had to be, missed. Yeah, you so had to be top two to get that yeah. golden ticket. So you don't and, get. And that was the race where Andrew Miller, right? Uh, he qualified for Western States by winning Georgia Death Race. Right. He's twenty. He's fast. Yeah. Oh, he's a monster. Right. Yeah. Can we? We can attribute it to his age. Yeah. <laughs> we are. Yeah, we are. No, <laughs> yeah. As four or as as three mid forty guys, we we yeah. can we can blame that on his age. You know, look. <laughs> but it is interesting, isn't it? You know, I think one of the uh, wonderful things about ultra running is that you can be old and still pretty fast. Right. Like, I would be absolutely nowhere in a local 10K race. Yeah. You know, every high school kid <laughs> would, you know, would blow your doors off, me. right? Yeah, but when you get up to 100 miles, oh, you know, you could be in your right? 40s and, and, and still go pretty well. So, 
do you think that some of your success is due not only to genetics, um, longevity, because you've been doing this for a long time, but maybe to your analytical thinking? Because if you look at ultra running, there's a lot of individuals with higher education, meaning like college and post-grad work. So what what do you think that plays into it? It's true, isn't it? It's sort of a geeky sport. It know, is a geeky little, sport, right? Um, spreadsheets and logs and yeah. everything else. Yeah. Well, I, I like to think I prepare better for races than... Is, than, is that than your thing? Planets. Like you're going into it and you're looking at like, okay, I'm going to have a split sheet. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be running alongside people in races and you talk to them and say, what's your goal? And I like to finish. And it just seems so extraordinary to me because I think, and they'll be like, well, what's your goal? And I'm like, I want to finish in, you know, 14 hours and 53 right. minutes. Yep. You know, I know <laughs> I have a spreadsheet with my splits at every right. point on the course. Well, th I think some um, of those times, those people that say just yeah. to finish, they're just kind of dumbing it down. Yeah, right? no, 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 they, no, don't, no. they don't want to show try, their hands. You try like, really? It's you a know, poker are you hand, sure? right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, then, but then there are other times, like, I, I feel like, um, like clockwork. 99% right. of runners go out too fast in ultras. Yeah. Now, at Wasatch, I remember last year at the top of Kins, uh, Chin Scraper, you're going along the ridge towards mm -hmm. Francis Peak. And, you know, I was talking to some guy and he was like, you know, what's your goal? And he was like, I'd like to finish in under 30 hours. He said, how about you? And I'm like, I'd like to win. Right. And I was saying that not just to be glib, right. but to try and drop him a hint that, Dude, He's you going, too, going fast. Way way too, too fast. Yeah, way exactly. too fast. Yeah, exactly. And a lot right of now. people just get caught up. They yeah. do. You know, they get right. caught up in the Especially moment. Especially on compare themselves Those first to the three miles. Next to the old course, the old, yeah. you, that first three or four miles where you're just on the shoreline. Well, and sometimes you get trapped where you, yeah. you know, it's like, well, if I get off the trail now, I'm not going to get on for 20 minutes. So you're I in stay the train, right? Where right? I'm at too. For sure. Well, um, one thing that's interesting to me, and maybe you could touch on too, because obviously it doesn't say it, but with the amount of running you do, the racing you do, You've had to stay relatively injury free. Yeah. And how, so what do you, so how have how you do done you, that? Yeah, because that's a huge, huge well, thing in this I sport. Mean, the obvious answer is I'm just lucky. Yeah. Uh, and, um, but, you know, I think I, I try, I think the high intensity training is, uh, um, is probably a reason why a lot of people get injured. You know, right. maybe because I just plod along all day, you know, is why I don't get injured so much. Um, but I like to run on a diversity of trails. Right. You know, I think that helps. So uh, you know, some people say, we were talking earlier about training, you know, specifically for races. Right. I, I usually find that I just don't do anything over specific. You know, if it's a hilly okay. race, I'll maybe try and run more hilly trails. But, right. You know, I won't. I'll still run on the trails which make me happy to run on, right? That are kind of because that's why we do it, right? Right, exactly. If you're not enjoying it, then you've really got to question, you know, what the hell yeah. you're doing. So, do you There's have a running background? Nobody's in it for the for the money. Um, did you did you do that in high school? No, in, in college, I, I did a lot of crew. Okay. Um, okay. Nice. And then, where did uh, you go to college? Uh, well, in England, I was at Oxford University. Okay, that, uh, that's another place yeah. where they don't let just anybody <laughs> yeah. in. Uh, and then I came across to the U.S. for grad school, so right. at, at MIT, and I, I did crew even at MIT. Okay, that's kind of big on the East Coast, crewing. Yeah. And then I just found I uh, I got more and more into running. You know, occasionally I'd run when I couldn't get to the gym or the river. Right. Um, and then um, the more I did it, the more I enjoyed it. I, I did find th there were two things which really improved my running. Uh, one was winning my first race. Right, which, which was? Uh, which was the Death Valley Trail Marathon yeah. in California. That's not easy. And, um, uh, 
yeah, it was a complete surprise to me. I certainly wasn't expecting it. And they had a half marathon on the same course. Right. And there were a ton of people ahead of me in yeah. the race, as I was expecting. And then they just sort of all turned around and started coming back the other way. And I was looking around thinking, well, where did everyone go? Right. <laughs> and uh, I, I still was looking around, you know, all the way to the finish line thinking, somebody's surely going to, you know. Catch you. Catch me. Right. And then, but then... You know, at that point, you, you think, wow, I, I, maybe I could be pretty good at this. Ah. Uh, so that was a big boost. Like a mental switch, yeah. right? Uh, and then another thing was getting dogs. Getting dogs. Oh, you nice. know, okay. And, and, and we moved to Park City and we got a dog. And, um, or dogs. Uh, and, you know, I'd find there'd be days where I'd be working and I'd be looking at the clock and there'd be things right. I wanted to finish before it got dark. And you'd think, ah, oh, it's not going to happen today. I'm not going to get out for a run. Right. And then the dogs would come, and they would just sort of run in circles around you and bark and say, <laughs> let's go, let's go, yeah. let's go. And it kind of gets you into that habit of, of going out every day. And, and you know, I think um, it's more important for running just to train regularly, to train every day, right. or six days a week, you know, uh, than it is to train uh, particularly long runs or hard runs or anything. You know, you just got to get into that habit of training right. frequently. So what brought you to Utah? Uh, my wife got offered a job in Park City. Okay. And um, I'd always dreamed of living in the mountains, so right. I was a big supporter. I was like, <laughs> I'm yeah, sure. let's, let's take that job. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And so she, she had a little gig at backcountry.com. That's right. Just a little one. Yeah. And then yeah. that brought you guys here. Um, do, you, do you work down Salt Lake or you guys? No, I, I work from home. Okay. And then I travel to California. California occasionally, All right. um, but mostly I do everything remotely. So I'm, well, I'm pretty lucky yeah, in you terms are. of, you know, being able to live in the mountains and having a flexible schedule. And so you know, just get out whenever the, well, whenever I'm in the mood. Well, that explains because when I look at your races, there's a lot of California races. Yeah. yeah. So so exactly, <laughs> I, I'll often trip. double up. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's perfect. Like I get, got the flight to California paid for already. So what's I going on that yeah. weekend? I'll run that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, but. Um, Another thing, actually, I, I suddenly I was thinking about that I, I wanted to talk about is in terms of uh, running philosophy, um, is that uh, I do a lot of training with a heart rate monitor, and I try and keep my heart rate very constant in races. Okay. And I think a, a mistake nearly everybody makes is they push hard on the uphills. Right. They push too hard uphill. Right. And not hard enough downhill. Oh. And so, you know, I think trail races are one on the downhills. You do. And I think you need to practice doing that in training, too. Right. So that you're not getting in a race and feeling like you're really, you know, thundering downhill out of control. Right. Um, so you think you can make up quite a bit of time on the downhill. Yeah, definitely. Right? I think, you know, you get more bang for your buck. So that, that but that, at that point, you know, when you're going downhill, obviously gravity is assisting you, but you can really get your heart rate up pretty high going downhill if you're running significantly faster. Say, say you're normally going downhill at eight-minute pace. In a race, you can easily do that at six-minute pace if you're yeah. not careful. Yeah, and, and what's interesting is your body adapts very quickly. Uh, like um, I have a friend who I uh, run with in Park City from time to time uh, called Bob Evers. Uh, I don't know if you know him, mm -hmm. older guy, but he's yeah. he's outstanding runner. Um, and, um, you know, he's trying to think, 65 or something. He's about the same speed as me. So he's, wow. you know, um, he's fast. He's fast. Good. <laughs> um, but he likes to run uphill and not downhill. Okay. So, you know, I'll find I'll run uphill with him and right. we'll be going the same speed and we'll compare heart rates and our heart rates are about the same. Right. And then we'll go downhill. 
and I'm used to running fast downhill and he's right. not. So he's going faster than he's comfortable. And I'm, you know, and, and my heart rate will be 20 beats per minute lower than his right. going downhill at the same speed. And, and the reason I mention that is I think that you can get much more efficient running downhill oh, if absolutely. you practice it. Yeah. You know, most people feel like, say, they want to be running a race at a 160 you know, beats per minute heart rate, find that when they're going downhill at that speed, it feels just breakneck pace. Right. That they're really, you know, beating up their legs or mm -hmm. they're skittering out of control. Well, you have to be accelerating downhill to get to that heart rate. Yeah. You know what and, I mean? And, but I find that, you know, it becomes much more comfortable. I think, you know, um, for example, I, I, on, a, on a marathon, I will hold about 165 heart rate. Right. And as you say, um, to be holding that downhill is it feels pretty fast it's hard to do that uh and if the course is technical you know then i won't be able to right but uh on say 100k my heart rate will be about 150 beats per minute and uh unless it's a very steep downhill with a lot of loose technical terrain you know that's quite comfortable to hold 150 beats per minute downhill right. um and uh but you know if you're it's going to seem dangerously fast. Right. No, I agree. I, I think Eric and I were talking about this last week about not, not enough people train for the downhill. And they, I really think you can make up a lot of time yeah. on that. It doesn't matter if you're elite or you're a mid-packer, you're a bad packer. You can make up significant time on the downhill. Well, a lot of time you hear people train. It's like, oh, I have this race. I got to practice going up. Yeah. Right. Speed go just happened. Right. It's like, oh, we're it's a lot of vert, so I got to get going up. And what you do, what you do for sure. Right. You, you have but to. You, but usually when you go up, you got to come, come back down. Yeah. And the speed goats, that's that's a different type of race. It when is. you're going, you got but, all those baby but you head say, rocks. You could say anything. Yeah. I mean, people say, oh, my 100 milers, 33,000 feet, you know, whatever the climb is per race, they want to focus on their climbing. Right. But you still have to come back down. You do. You yeah. Know? And, and I, so I, that exactly. crushes yeah. your quads. Yeah. It's heart rate. Right. And the other reason I think it's good to do that in training is again you know you're getting close to what it's going to feel like in a race yes right you are thrashing your quads you yep. are doing those eccentric contractions which are going to um cause muscle damage cause muscle damage so again fatigue and right breaks down your running form right and and then when you're training you know you're running with legs which are uh, not responding very well <laughs> right you've got the the muscle fatigue there you know and um so I think, again, it's getting you closer to how you'll feel right. late stages of a, of a hundred. So I want to uh, circle back to something real quick. Um, you mentioned earlier something about salt taps. You don't normally do salt taps. Yeah. And Canis was really specific <laughs> in talking to you about this. He, yeah. he wanted to bring this out. So what's your theory on salt taps? Well, I mean, you know, and, uh, here's an area where I think Tim Noakes gets it almost exactly right. Right. You know, if you read uh, Waterlogged or you hear him interviewed, you know, he says... The, you know, everybody takes salt tablets because they assume somehow that cramping in races is related to um, an imbalance, an imbalance, electrolyte imbalance. Right. Um, but, you know, if there is an electrolyte imbalance, it's got to be localized, those muscle right. tissues. And right? It can't be systemic. Right. Uh, you know, your um, normal sodium concentration in your blood is 140. Right. And that drops to like 125 and you, it's, it's enough that you lose consciousness. Right. Everything is incredibly tightly regulated. Yep. So if you could just put in a salt tab, 
you know, and and that fix, fixes the electrolyte imbalance systemically, then something would have to be dramatically wrong. You wouldn't be conscious right. you know, if, if that was the problem. Um, and people take salt tablets too, or pickle juice, whatever, mm -hmm. and, and they find within you know a minute they the the um, the cramping starts to recede. Right. And um, there's no time for that to get to your muscles. No. You know, if it was 20 minutes, then then that might be a possibility. Right. But it happens way too fast mm -hmm. for, it to, for the whatever's in the salt pill to get to your muscles. Um, That's more of like a central nervous thing. Right. Right. So, so the conventional wisdom now is that it's 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 somehow it's a neurological problem. Right. It's to do with the, the the signals your brain is sending to the muscles. Right. And something in the taste of the pickle juice mm -hmm. or the salt tablet or or you know, the well, there's some receptor in, in, that your, in your gut, right? In your gut, right. Yeah. In, in your esophagus, in your stomach, mm -hmm. you know, maybe in your um, short intestine, you know, is setting to your brain. Maybe suddenly we've got lots of salt. You can right. send, go back to sending. You can stop salt. protecting that area that right. might have that micro damage yes. to it. Um, but, uh, you know, the interesting thing about salt tablets, though, is so many people swear by them. Right. You know, so I don't want to say they don't work. Right. All I can say is I don't personally have a problem with cramping in races. Right. I, it, very occasionally. Like uh, I did a race in California where I'd sprained my right ankle or, um, you know, right before the race. But I went ahead and so I sort of ran 50 miles on you know, favoring one leg. Right. And, and after about 30 miles, that leg started to do all kinds of strange, you know, spasm, <laughs> cramping, and, you know. Uh, but generally, I don't have a problem with cramping. Right. So I'm not tempted to take salt tablets. And I have a couple of times taken salt tablets just mm -hmm. to see what they do for me. And, and, uh, and nothing? Well, no, I, I you know. Uh, do you find yourself one sweating time it more? Introduced, no, immediate vomiting. Okay. Uh, wow. at, at Tasha's last last summer, I, well, I decided. Was that uh, due to the al altitude, though? That, no, that no, thing? no. It, the timing was overwhelming at Tasha's. I don't know why. I'd been thinking about um, you know salt storage in your body because if you read Tim Noakes's book Waterlog, mm -hmm. he talks all the time about there being these reserves of sodium in your body. Right. But he doesn't specify where these mysterious reserves are <laughs> or how big they are. You right. know, and like. Okay, there may be reserves of sodium in your body, but where are they? Right. You know, and, and they have to be finite. So right. Well, no, you're right. You They're very tightly regulated. Yeah. Right. Um, but, um, but I'd, I'd been sort of thinking about this, and I got into an aid station, and there was some salt in front <laughs> of me, and I just kind of, I grabbed a, a potato chip and scooped up some salt, oh and, my and just stuck it in my mouth, <laughs> and. You know, I washed it down with a glass of water, ran out of the aid station, and within a minute, I was vomiting. Vomiting, yeah. And, um, you know, and I had that experience. And then at Wasatch, I thought, well, I'll take a couple of salt tablets right. just sort of prophylactically. And, and I was vomiting at it's Wasatch, too. It's like a what-the-hell moment, so, right? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, and, and these are kind of brain-dead mistakes. You know, sure. you say don't do anything new in races that you haven't right. tried in training. Um, yeah, we, we all have, you know... Senior moments, yeah. uh, particularly when yeah. you're yeah. exhausted <laughs> and hypoxic, and uh, sometimes you'll try anything at some point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so you know, all I can say is, is personally, I don't take salt tablets, and I've never felt the need for them. So, do you take any sort of supplement as far as like um, electrolytes? Electrolytes, or are you just straight up water? I will usually have uh, a carbohydrate drink in my uh, hydration pack. So, what's your what's the one that works best for you? 
I'm still experimenting. You okay. know, I, I've never had any which were horrible. Right. Uh, I've I've liked heat. I've liked tailwind. Mm -hmm. um, I've liked rocktain drink. Um, I think my favorite right now is the V Fuel mm -hmm. ginger drink. Yeah. So I've been using um, that lately, and it's there's something about that that's throwing me off. I don't yeah. know what it is, but I've been the Scratch Labs has been really good yeah. to me lately. Um, but most of those drinks also have some electrolytes in them. They do. Yeah. yeah. Maybe not as many. Maybe you're not taking in as many as you're losing. Right. Um, but it's it's not horribly, you know, far off. So okay. know, I think it, it helps a little. So what do you do for calories then? Uh, I do gels. What kind of gel? Um, I am not fussy. No? Um, oh, so your, stom your stomach does pretty good. Yeah, I, I find it's mostly the flavor of the gels. Okay. That it's not like a texture me. thing? No, and so the problem is usually in races, when you get to the aid stations, the gels they have are the gels that, that the, the, the nutrition sponsor had left over in the warehouse. Yeah. Right. The <laughs> flavors they oh, couldn't ship. the flavors ship. are <laughs> atrocious. Yeah, yeah. Oh. and so, you know, there are some times where you, you roll up to an aid station and you think, really? You know, not another fucking Huckleberry gel. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, That's so popular with <laughs> yeah. Hammer right now, Huckleberry yeah. gels. Oh. And and I, I find that the, the non-fruity ones, like the um, like the, the, ju the goo... Uh, like caramel. Salted caramel. That's yeah. my yeah. favorite. Yeah. yeah, those are pretty good. Um, what about solids? Do you, do you eat some solids later in the race? No. No, just uh, all gels. Occasionally, when, I mean, when you know, when the shit hits the fan, right? You know, then you sit down at an aid station and have some broth and noodles, maybe, right? Um, but uh, or you kind of just gaze at all the stuff that's laid out in front of you and try and figure out what was right. Think what's going to be the miracle thing that you put in your mouth that's going to bring you back to life. Um, but generally, if things are going well, you know, I. I I don't eat solid foods okay. and, and try and just blow through aid stations as fast as I can. Right. Um, I think that's a general rule for everybody. Try to get through the aid station as yeah. quickly as you can. It, it's such a no-brainer, right? Right. Like, it's a race. You know, why would you sit down and, and shoot the shit with, uh, people with you, the volunteers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Are, you know, a guy throwing up on your foot because that's happened to me. You know, <laughs> got me at the aid station quicker. <laughs> but there's traps. There's traps. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the other things that, that Candace wanted us to talk about was you paced him at Western. at Western. And he wanted to know why you chose to pace his old butt. That was his exact words. <laughs> yeah. He wanted us to ask you that. Well, because he's my friend. Oh. You know? <laughs> there, there's, not, there's nothing more to it than that. Plus, uh, you know, it's, it's just wonderful at Weston, you know, to go out and crew and pace and be part of the whole experience. And, right. Uh, you know, one day I hope to race there. But, uh, you know, I, I hope I helped him. I, I th he's kind of a very self-sufficient sort of guy. Right. And he's done a lot of uh, adventure races right. and ultras. And so, you know, I, I had no doubt, you know, Kenneth would persevere to the finish. Right. And he came in under 24, which is really yeah. impressive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we haven't actually ever had that debrief about the race. Right. You know, I'm not quite clear. When I picked him up at Forest Hill, mm -hmm. he was about 45 minutes outside the 24-hour schedule. Right. Um, and I, it was far from clear to me that we were going to be able to, to get him home, you know, under 24. Right. Um, so I was, uh, you know, really pushing him to optimize everything he could. You right. Know, be as fast as possible in the aid stations and not... Changes socks and shoes too many times, and oh. you know, uh, 
not tend to the blisters. You right. Know. Just, uh, those can wait until later. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> They'll right? be there later. So just, just forget about that. You know, yeah. let's just keep moving because because it's really tight right so now. So were you being really analytical at that point? Just well, going I was just looking at the watch, watch all the be time. Like, okay, we need to. And like, yeah, you know, I was hoping, you know, I thought if we make up five minutes right. on that schedule at every aid station, yeah. you know, we'll be pretty close. And that schedule is based on actual runners, not on holding a standard pace. Right. So most of the runners are kind of really tailing off at the end. And I knew that if Canis could just keep up the pace, he'd be fine. Right. And he was. He, you know, he finished in uh, about 20 minutes under. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so he had a comfortable margin. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, so. He never really, I, I was like, Canis, you can do this, you can do this, let's keep moving, though, right. you know, because it's tight. And I don't ever really know whether he was, you know, in his mind, he was like, yeah, I know, it's fine, <laughs> I've got it, don't right. worry, you know, I'm just going to keep moving and it'll yeah. be fine, you know, or whether he, he had doubts himself. Right. I'm sure at that point, it's just been a hot, hard day and he's behind a little bit and you just have those doubts sometimes they do right you know, whether you, you want them or not they just pop yeah, in your head because right. it's that's easy but it, but uh, you know I, I thought he'll be fine he'll keep moving right and as long as he keeps moving like he's moving now uh, that's okay but you know I if things get worse then then there's no buffer there too right you know so we all go through those low points in a, a race well eventually everybody hits that low point how do you deal with the, the low point in a race you just you just know you're gonna pop out of it because of your experience yeah, you know, I find it just depends on, on how I'm feeling. Just like if you're in a good mood or a bad mood some days, you know, there are days where you start to suffer and your body suddenly remembers, you know, all the other suffering. Right. And, and it sort of says to you, oh, really? You know, Here are we, we go going again. to do this again? <laughs> right. Because you know? believe me, I know exactly what this is going to feel like for the next 10 hours. Right. And, um, and then there are days where you think, oh, yeah, it's not feeling so good now. But, you know, I know I'll, I'll rebound in a few hours. And, and, right. Um, and um, I had a really hard finish, actually, at Bear last year. Um, uh, I was in second place, but I didn't know I was in second place. I, I, I thought I was in third. It turned out some guy ahead of me had got off course. Oh, okay. And uh, just right about half an hour before the finish, Jesse Haynes came thundering up behind me. And I didn't know it was Jesse. I just saw a headlight behind me. And I right. thought, you know, if I push hard, you know, then... Um, this guy will see I'm not going to let him back and past and, and he'll fall back. You know? Right. I thought I'll just a quick push and that'll mm -hmm. take care of it. So I had a quick push and he, he came back at me and I, I pushed again and he came back at me. And then it just went on and on and on. And we right. were just screaming downhill, you know, to the finish, just giving everything we got. And he ended up crossing the line seven seconds behind me. Oh, my um, goodness. And um, but it was such a painful finish that. You know, a month later, uh, Rio del Lago, right. you know, I was feeling very tired at the end of the race. Mm -hmm. and I was in first place. But at that point, I knew if anyone came at me, I just didn't have it in me, you know. Because <laughs> you gave it all. Again. I was like, <laughs> you gave my, it all I knew bear. my body would be like, not again. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> We've done you know, this before. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and, and that, it was kind of an interesting feeling to think I was looking over my shoulder and knowing that if somebody, you know, uh, caught up with me that I would just let them go, that I didn't right. have the fight in, in me. Uh, but I think over the course of, uh, of more months, that's kind of faded, that the, mm -hmm. the, the post-traumatic stress has, <laughs> you know, has improved slightly. Um, but I do find it's, 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 it varies very much day to day. Some right. days, you know, 
you've got the the fight in the in your the fire in, in your belly, yeah. And other days you, you don't, you know. And you just hope you don't it doesn't come to a really, you know, um, hard finish like that. Right. Well, I know that we're kind of running short on time, and you've got to get yourself back to work. Um, so quickly, you got one more race coming up this year. Oh, right, lots more races. You got lots yeah. more. Well, yeah. well, we only go by ultra sign up. <laughs> okay, that, that's the only thing that counts in our book, to be yeah. honest, because uh, it says that you've it's only got the bear. Yeah, on the schedule. I, I, I'm I'm doing uh, Angelis Crest 100 oh. in uh, three and a half weeks. Wow. Uh, and then uh, I mean, there's little races. Like I think I'll probably do the discrete series. Right. Um, yeah. So that for those that don't know, that's local races. Yeah. That are fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, fun stuff. And there's some races in Park City, like the Jupiter Peak Steeplechase. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Marathon. Oh, man, that thing is a thumper. Yeah. Um, that gets out of the gate, goes uphill quick. But I'm also signed up for Wasatch. Are you? Um, and uh, and the Bear. Okay, again. so are, are you so going I, for the double win? I, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we already said it. Yeah, I don't think that's <laughs> no going to happen. No um, Why is that going to happen? What I'm tying with, actually... Uh, and if I say this, you know, to you guys, I'm probably going to have to go ahead with it. Okay, let's say it. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking, um, instead, like last year, I did Wasatch and the Bear two weeks apart. Right. This year, I'm thinking maybe I can get myself into Run Rabbit Run oh, in the no. middle, <laughs> and do 300s in three weeks. And all, um, all super easy courses. Oh yeah, right. No, no big <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's there are no easy hundred mile courses, that's what, right? Yeah, you know? Still hundred miles. Yeah, yeah. Some are just more. Some, some are a little faster. Challenging. Than others, oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, so, so you would that, actually that, do that will four in the in the course of eight weeks, right? Basically. So, so An Angel's Crest would be. Yeah, it's about a month ahead. Right. Of yeah. 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 So in the course of eight weeks, you would do four. So we'll Very see. Stout you know, a lot depends milers. on how my body holds up. You right. Know, I've got some niggling issues right now, and hopefully they get better. Huh. Um, but if everything feels good, you know, getting close to And the you want to do well at all these, obviously. It's just yeah, not I going mean, Exactly. Not just to finish. Right. Like, the ideal yeah. thing would be to say, come top 10 top at 10. all of them. Um, uh, run, Rabbit, Run, I, I haven't really investigated how competitive that is. I know there's a lot of prize money there. Yeah. So, so if it you're may be hard the, to come top 10. Because they have run two rabbit. different divisions. They've yeah. got the hare and the tortoise division. Yeah. You'd definitely be in the hare division competing for a little bit cash maybe i don't know a week after Wasatch. yeah it's unlikely <laughs> to be very competitive but it would be it would be fun you know i feel like that would be a way of kind of mixing things up and, right. and doing something different so you know you've got a really impressive resume is there any race out there that you want to do in the future that you're just just dying to do going experience what, well, what is western that? states all right so like western, everyone else yeah right what about Hard Rock? You interested in doing Hard you know, Rock? You know, I signed up for the Hard Rock Lottery this year and didn't get in, and right. I'll sign up next year. Okay. Um, I don't really know uh, if that's a race I'm going to love or not. Right. You know, I, I think I preferred the Bear Course over Wasatch slightly just because I felt ah, it was a little yeah. bit more runnable. I agree with you. And, you know, I suspect Hard Rock may be just, you know, too too rugged for my taste. Right. Too okay. much hiking, too much uh, bushwhacking, or dealing with with really technical conditions. Yeah. So um, do you do you have any uh, inkling at all going and doing like the Bob Graham round? I don't even know what that is. It's, it's in it's in your home country. Oh. Uh, it's an, it's this big adventure run basically, uh, and it's really a big deal where you, you're kind of I think in the northern part and it's in the Lake District and you're just going around all these okay these no I, I, I recall now right. what you're talking about yeah um, you know I've just started looking at races in the UK right you know and thinking well that would be a good excuse to go home and try and there find a race there so in January I'm going to do um, the Spine Challenger race 
So do you know what the spine is? No. So, so the spine is uh, a race in the north of England on okay. the um, Pennine Trail, right? Um, which is kind of, it's not as long as the Appalachian Trail, but it's sort of equivalent in the UK. It's okay. a big stringing a lot of uh, ridges together. Right. And this race is 268 miles, <laughs> and it's in the middle of winter. Now, is it continuous? So, yes. Um, so I, that's not what I'm doing. That's the spine. Okay. But Canis has signed up for the spine. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, he said he was so, signed up for um, But clearly, a lot of what makes that hard is just the miserable conditions. Right. That you're permanently cold. You're permanently wet. wet. Uh, you know, and it's just hovering around freezing, you right. know, snow, rain, bogs, ice. <laughs> bogs. You know, yeah. You know, constantly running through wet. marsh, yeah. constantly wet. So, you know, I'm Sounds really tempted like by a that good race. Time. Um, but if I go there, you know, I feel like I don't want to get 24 hours into that race and think I am wearing the wrong shoes or right. I'm not prepared for these conditions. Yeah. So there's a shorter version, which is 108 oh, miles, yeah. six miles, uh, uh, which I thought I would go and do right. next year as like a debugging run <laughs> to try and, you know, see if you're ready for the whole like, See if I'm ready for the whole thing. Yeah. Right. So, but yeah, the spine is definitely something I think I would be, you know, I, I'd like to do at some point in the future. Okay, that sounds good. Um, and I was actually trying to persuade, uh, I was talking to Jared Campbell about this. Oh, that sounds like right up his alley. <laughs> yeah, right? I thought, right, you yeah. know, like he's now, how many times has he won Barkley? You know, it's, well, three. Time, it's time for him to, to, to find something new. Diversify. Right. Step it up. You know, yeah. and, and, and the spine, <laughs> the, the course record is, uh, I think, 98 hours. Oh my gosh. Like um so, you know, it's longer than Barclay. Right. Uh, and there's there's no navigational problem. You know, you can take well, as many maps and GPSs right. and what, whatever you want. You know, the problem is just getting from A to B. Through know, those horrid conditions. Through those horrid conditions. Oh, my goodness. Um, that sounds like a walk in the park. Yeah. No, so? thanks. No, thanks. <laughs> what else we got for him, Eric? Well, I think that's, pre- you know, I think we, that's pretty much, I know what time-wise we're there, but um, what about a UTMB run? Yep, I would definitely like to do UTMB. That's definitely on my bucket list. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah. You've done so many, so it's really, I mean. And, and UTMB, I guess it's sort of fairly similar to hard rock terrain-wise. Mm. Um, is it? Is it easier? I don't know. I think. I don't know much. It's yet. lower elevation. I think that's what helps. Right. Right? That's why it's a little bit faster. Okay. It's not, it doesn't go above like, you know, 14,000 feet like yeah. hard rock does. But, but it, elevation but change like yeah. up and down i think it's really similar but i mean looking at the the the, the videos of it this the, the number of people racing isn't is that crazy boggling like that's three thousand people isn't yeah. that amazing that blows me yeah. away because we talked who did we talked to was it luke and he pa- or somebody and they passed like a thousand runners yeah <laughs> yeah exactly right in the back. It's yeah, like, yeah. But then you also worry in, in like you know U.S. ultras, you think about getting caught in the conga line going. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the conga line on UTMB must just just be, you know. That's why everybody's long, like yeah. doing five minute pace right out of the gate. Well, yeah, get yeah, out of the conga line. Fencing with all the, the oh yeah, you know, the, the well, hustle poles going yeah. around. <laughs> 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 Little fencing to proceed defense mm-hmm. there. Right. Well, I just want to thank you for for coming in and talking to us today. It was been a sheer pleasure for me to to get to know you. Um, you're an amazing runner. Thank yeah. you. Um, 
we definitely want to talk to you again. We always say that, but really, I, I do enjoy talking to our guests quite a bit, and you, for sure, were wonderful. Well, if I manage to to succeed in my goal of, of doing the triple hundred, then then I'll, I'll definitely you know, yes. let you know how that went. That we would might, be a great we might story. That was. Well, we'd have to get you right when you cross the finish line, right? Like no time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, come over here and talk to us. Well, yeah. It's super fresh. Now, now, do you bleep out, bleep out the expletives in this <laughs> blog? I can do all kinds yeah, of stuff. Eric's really good. At that. It, it would be a lot of swearing. <laughs> Yeah. And a lot of giggling. Yeah. If you're gonna go swearing, I'm gonna start. <laughs> Can't help it. But yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on and you know being an investor in this location. I know Joel said it, I've said it. But this is just an awesome place to yeah, be. We love it. It really is. Um, and we're gonna be walking out of here with some stuff too. Yes. We're gonna have to yep. get a Park City shirt to wear. Oh, around. absolutely. Those are sweet. So yeah. all right. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for coming pleasure. on. Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening to the Trail Manners podcast. We'd like to thank Dominic Layfield as well as the Park City Run Company for letting us take over the shop for a little bit here today. Uh, we'd also like to encourage everybody to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Trail Manners or swing by our website there on our store page. You can check out some cool gear, help support the love here at the Trail Manners podcast. Also, on our contact page, you can let us know what you want to see, who you want to hear, or even if you would like to be on our show. Until next time, this is Eric Manning with Joel Hatch reminding you, you don't get what you wish for, you get what you work for. Now go get it.